NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer. Thanks so much for joining me. This week's show, we have two guests for you. First up, you'll hear from newly retired football player Chris Long, who also, for the past six weeks, has written recaps for Game of Thrones for SI.com, and they have been edited by yours truly. So we'll talk to Chris about his writing career, Game of Thrones, and hanging it up uh, and calling it quits for his very, very successful NFL career. And then after that, you're going to hear from my SI colleague, Grant Wall, who's getting ready to cover the Women's World Cup in early June. Uh, Grant, a longtime veteran at SI, does it all. Also does TV work for Fox, and he's part of a new podcast here at SI called Throwback. And uh, the first season of it covers the 1991 Women's World Cup team and tells a very interesting story there, and Grant gets into all that. He uh, hosts that podcast. So Chris Long, Grant Wall, right here on this episode of the SI Media Podcast. Quick plug here for the archives. Please, if you haven't listened to past episodes, check them out. Last week was a good one. Chad Finn from the Boston Globe on Sports Media News and Brian Curtis, uh, who wrote a great article about uh, broadcasters, sports broadcasters who love Howard Stern. That was, if you're a Stern fan and you haven't checked that out, because I know a lot of you, um, I have a lot of Stern fans who follow me on Twitter, so if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to it, give it a give it a listen. It was interesting. Uh, and then also in the archives, NFL insider Ian Rappaport, ESPN's Mike Breen, who's going to call the Warriors winning the NBA Finals in the next several days. Uh, Jim Nance is in the archives as well. So give it all a listen, subscribe, rate, review. It helps tremendously. The plugs are over, and now we get to Chris Long. All right, joining me now, a man in several transitions. He's no longer an NFL player. He's no longer an SI.com writer. And I'm kind of sad about that. Chris Long, who has been writing Game of Thrones recaps for SI and just announced his retirement from the NFL after winning two Super Bowls. What's up, Chris? Dude, thanks for having me. Well, th- thanks for coming on. We've been we've been bonded together over these six weeks. I, I we, want people... We 
I want people to understand how hard you worked on these columns each and every week. Well, I mean, the, the retirement, I thought, would take the pressure off my SI, my SI uh, now retirement. Right. So I, I just tried to put that right ahead of my last column. Uh, but I mean, it's been, it's been fun, man. I, I really, I enjoy writing and I enjoy the show. I'll, I'll never claim to be like one of those you know, books fanatics. Um, I've tried to write those columns from a standpoint of an educated fan who's, who doesn't take any of it too seriously. I mean, you know, it's been, uh, there's been moments of, of absolute hysteria among the fan base uh, in the past six to eight weeks. So I've tried to stay on the fringes and try to give as balanced uh, an opinion as I could on it. Uh, Just for background, if anyone's listening to this, wanting to hear Chris Long talk about football and they don't know what's going on about Thrones. So obviously, uh, you know, everyone knew this was the final season of Game of Thrones, monstrous, cultural, iconic show. And... I wanted to get an athlete to sort of write about it, and it's a tough deal because, you know, it's a Sunday night show. You want someone to write on Monday, so that sort of eliminates, like, MLB players who watch the show. And But I knew Chris was a very intelligent, capable individual who watched the show, so I reached out to him uh, with the offer. You said yes fairly quickly, and I knew— I do that a lot. I do that <laughs> a lot um, accidentally, and there were a few moments where I was like, fuck, yeah. did I say yes to this? Yeah, uh, this is a tough undertaking. I mean, having nothing to do with what y'all asked me to do. I mean, I think initially when you asked me to write about the the recaps, um, you probably envisioned short form, quick hitting, humorous stuff. But I can't, I can't um I can't analyze anything without like nuance, right. uh, especially a show that's that watched and something that like you know in the last season these are 80 to 90 minute um episodes episodes and there's so many plot lines you know it's not like a breaking bad where you'd spend an hour and walter's in the basement cooking meth and (laughs) there's um you know minutia within that long ass scene but you know it's one scene uh these are episodes now where they're trying to cram multiple plot lines into 60 to 80 minute periods. So it was challenging, uh, but I really had fun with it. It challenged me as a writer. I've always enjoyed writing um, and I look forward to doing more of it when I retire. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I guess you kind of made it seem like you, you knew I was the guy to ask because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a total loser and I, I had nothing going on. No, it had, so. nothing, no, it had nothing to do with that. I just, I could, listen, I've, I've, I've interviewed before you before. I follow you on Twitter. I, you know, I've seen your interviews. I know, I just knew you'd be the right fit for this and I knew you would be very thorough about it, but I did not think you'd be as thorough as you were, which I totally respected and um, was really in awe of. And it was, you know, well, I got a bit of a problem. I, you know, I do, I do. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to just quick hit almost anything, right. but I did, definitely not a, but I never pitched quick hits. I said, do it as long or as short as you want, however you want. Yep. You know, I, yep. I sort of left it up to you. I do think, and I think we worked well together, but I do think you definitely lost a little respect for me when I broke the news to you that I don't watch Thrones. I just knew you'd be, the, <laughs> I just knew you'd be the guy to write about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, it, it made it. 
Because <laughs> sometimes when you finish watching the show, you have first off, when I watch the show, um I'm 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 first off I'm baked when I watch the show. I mean like half of America is probably high watching Game of Thrones, so it's hard to take the notes <laughs> and do the things that you need to do. But I do, and I've got these scribbly notepads that I'm just jotting the entire time, and my wife is pissed because I'm, like, pausing it. And uh, I probably ruined the enjoyment of the season for her. Uh, oh, but she didn't like it that much anyways. Uh, but then, you know, I always, what I found in rewatching a lot of these episodes, which I didn't do the first seven seasons, was that a lot of times I had two different, completely different takeaways and two different uh, opinions of episodes respectively. So it was good for me because I feel like I know the last season in and out. Um, probably the wrong season to know in and out. Right. Well, there's uh, only six episodes but, though, so. but it was fun and it was challenging. Yeah. Well, you did a tremendous, I kissed your ass every week. You did a tremendous job. And well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I wasn't, that. I wasn't trying to blow smoke up your ass. You really did. a. a you got to keep the job. interns happy. So I appreciate you, uh, yeah. you stroking the ego I, and, uh, Listen, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It was definitely a fun ride. That's how good of a guy Chris is. He did this for free. Now, listen, we already, the guy gave up his salary for an NFL season, so doing this for free probably wasn't as damaging as that, but that's how good of a guy. Cause <laughs> well, when, now so, that you mention it, it's kind of the principle. I'm, I feel like I'm waiting on a check. Believe me, you, what SI pays, you won't be able to do much with. I'm, uh, not, the only, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's talk about Thrones just for a little bit, um, even though I didn't watch it, but I sort of feel like I know stuff now just from editing your column. Um, you, I, I, I thought you... I, I give you credit because, you know, in this Twitter age where the, there's instant reaction and you have to fly off the handle at everything, you, you really try to, I think, stay level-headed throughout. And for me, as someone who doesn't watch it, I would scroll through Twitter on a Sunday night and I'd see all these people bashing the show. And then you would come out with your column on Monday and sort of have a different perspective on it, which I thought was very interesting. Do you have to like consciously not be swayed by public opinion? Are you very strong in that this is what you thought of the show? You're not going to let these people or because it also could go the other way where you're like, oh, maybe this person has a point. Maybe I'm seeing especially a show like that that's so intricate with so many details. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to uh, be swayed on social media in general, and I think yeah. that's what social media is largely um, about in a lot of ways. Is you know, you get this mass of opinion, um, and if you know most of the opinions on your timeline align, you know, it's human nature to be swayed. And I am somebody who's impressionable and. I can be influenced, uh, but at the same time, I enjoyed the challenge of, like, listen, reading some takes from some of my peers who I generally agree with on a lot of stuff, uh, and it's easy to get influenced by them, and then throwing them out and be like, you know what, I think this take is dog shit, and I'm going to write the opposite, and I think what I found was that there were two episodes that were really challenging for me. Um... Actually, there were three. I mean, they were all challenging, but episode three, Battle of Winterfell, you know, you had a lot of people initially when I opened my my timeline that were kind of heralding this 
episode is one of the best of all times. Uh, and obviously that was a knee jerk reaction by some people, but I saw a lot of flaws and I, and, and I actually watched it with a former teammate, Bo Allen in Las Vegas. And that was a real challenge in and of itself, uh, <laughs> writing a column in Vegas in a hotel room. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, I gotta stay down the middle on this thing. I, I, I gotta be ready to take the backlash. And what you find is that like when you, when you fire your takeoff, that there's a lot of people like Moss moth to a light that that are going to see your take and they were afraid to to share it and they're excited that somebody else had it i think five and six were challenging because i thought five was completely getting shit on unnecessarily in a lot of ways uh and it was largely because of the danny decision and you know we can get into that but but uh episode six was also difficult because i was just at some points just laughably I mean like it, it it was it was really bad at some points my first watch and then I I get online and I'm seeing that there is a, a mixed bag of reactions and I obviously rewatch it and like much of the season I realized that it was just an inconsistent episode um very inconsistent but to not get swayed is a challenge and I do read a lot of tweets um because we do pull tweets to to put into these columns so it's it's easy to get influence but you got to fight it off you got to fight the yeah. urge well and i think one of the things one of the many things that sucks about twitter and and just the time we live in now is if you do have a contrarian opinion that you actually believe where i mean in episode five for instance there are people saying it was the worst episode of all time where you know and you felt strongly that ah. it, it wasn't the case and now it's like if you go out if you if you have the opposite take of the majority then you get killed for people saying like you're making it up to be dead you know i I get like just to throw this out there i am one of the few people like i liked the seinfeld finale like everybody hated it i liked it but i don't even know what happened there um they brought back all of the like fringe characters that the core group of jerry and elaine and um kramer and George sort yeah. of screwed over in some way throughout the series. And there was a trial. Yeah. It started where the, the, some big fat guy got mugged and they didn't do anything. They laughed and then they got arrested and then they ended up in jail. I don't know. Anyway, I you know, lo- I want to, I want to give Seinfeld a chance. Cause I know you're like a big Seinfeld fan. Yes. And I never really gave it a chance, but I keep hearing the two finales that everybody talked about is lost in Seinfeld and a little bit of Sopranos, but that was very, uh, subjective. So I thought there were a lot of people that liked that that ending. Um, so yeah, it's tough. It's tough to wrap a series, especially yeah. one that all eyes are on that. Series. Can you imagine? I mean, I guess Jimmy, it would, would could you imagine what Seinfeld would have endured in the age of Twitter or any of these shows? I well, mean, like the, a lot of these shows that got to run in the '90s and even in the early 2000s, they had the they had the kind of freedom to evolve and make right. mistakes and and the only way that everybody was going to hear about it if they didn't pick it up on screen was you know entertainment weekly or some shit i right. mean but now we're inundated with this pressure to think how everybody else is thinking about the episodes and about the art exactly and and but but we're also at this point now and i it actually like i, I feel like it like it mirrors like the political climate. It's like, you can't say yeah. something different. Like 
Yes. If if when the when the Seinfeld finale happened, you could have said. Now, while most people trashed it and thought it stunk, if you said you liked it, you wouldn't have gotten, you know, scoffed at and acted like you were just saying something to be contrarian and to get attention. Now, if you say something, if you, you know, if you say it, it's like, oh, you just want attention. You're just being contrarian, hot take, blah, blah. But if you might really feel that way, like you like you yeah. really felt like season the episode five was a mixed bag. You didn't think it was all bad while everyone else was trashing it to no end. And another thing is this. I mean, like I, I kind of did my own. Um, psychological study uh, or I would ask as many people in person. I was asking people at the grocery store, like, <laughs> you know, on a Monday, like, Hey, what'd you think about the episode last night? Right. Like, you know, like fucking I'm, I'm grabbing broccoli and putting it in a bag <laughs> and there's like a 60 year old woman next to me. And she's like, how's your day going? I'm like, Oh, I'm tired from game of Thrones. Yeah. I try to like bring it up to see I was up late watching game of Thrones. And then if she, she, you know, bit and she was into having that conversation, I want to go down that road. Right. And I'd ask my friends and I'd ask people I, I like and I know are intelligent and critical. And what I found was that generally people in person are not as critical as they are on Twitter. Right. And I think that's for a few reasons. I think Twitter is, you know, I got, I hate, I hate, I hate saying it because some people I really disagree with call it an echo chamber, but it is an echo chamber in a lot of ways, right. no matter what you believe right. in any arena of thought. Um, and then secondly, I think the type of person that's going to have a Twitter account is somebody who's very analytical. Um, and somebody who's going to be active in an online community is going to be very analytical and by nature kind of critical. And, and I'm no exception, right? So I'm not shitting on the type of people that are on Twitter, but Twitter is not reality. Right. And, you know, there are a lot of people who have no idea what's going on on Twitter on a daily basis. So they, they digest Game of Thrones very right. individually. I just thought of another one. Did you see the uh, Did you see the Queen movie a few months ago? I got through ten minutes of it, oh, and yeah. I just did not dig the tone. Okay. See, I went to the movies. I saw it. I love Queen. Love all their music. I love the movie. I was enter- like yeah. I, for two hours. I was entertained. I never checked. Like when I go to the movies, like you know, that sort of like ADD thing kicks in. I'm checking my watch every five minutes. Oh, not me. I didn't check my watch. I. Sat through it, enjoyed it, was happy, left there happy, loved the music. And then you go on Twitter, and, and I said I liked it, and people just destroyed me. People cross you. I mean, <laughs> and, like, listen, if there's some reason that a movie is historically inaccurate or problematic in some way where it's, like, painting a character who is a real shitbag as a good person or vice versa, right? you know, and I'm fine with people taking issue with the objective facts. Um but when you're talking about an art form and like something that's very subjective, I think you just have to, you can definitely like, there's a difference between like vehemently disagreeing with somebody that you obviously are like cool with. And you're like, after this conversation, we're cool. But there's a lot of people who just want to, they want you to agree with them so bad that right. you're an enemy if they don't. And, uh, and, well, and it happens with TV shows. And I thought you did a really nice job explaining this in the finale column that's on SI.com right now. Um, about the last episode in that also so i'll bring so you know i go see this queen movie i come out i love it and then people are talking about the inaccuracies and they didn't show this and they didn't show this and this was but then when you take a step back and and this is what you did i think you it's it's a movie game of thrones is a tv show you don't have to you know it's okay if there's a couple of things here and there that are amiss it's not going to destroy anyone's life and 
while yeah. the, the Thrones fans were passionate about it, I think you you really explained it nicely in the last column about, you know, okay, the finale yeah. was rough, the last season was rough, but we had eight years of the show that we constantly talked about, and you 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 explained that well, I thought. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, we all have equity in um, in the show on some level if you've watched it, and whether you've got a season or two, or you binged it and you have equity that way, or you watched it for eight years uh, or you bought merchandise or you read all the books, like there's different levels to it, but it's not yours and it's not your life. It's, it's a, it's a show. And, you know, I just got, listen, I was disappointed by the season largely, but also you have to have the perspective of like, listen, are, are you glad game of Thrones existed or are you not? And like, we can have a critical discussion, but like, let's not overreact and let's not, there's a difference between like, disappointment and like being indignant and being just like, I was owed better. Right. Like you're not owed anything. Like, you know, I think, um, science of Stork's, um, actress, uh, Sophie Turner, she, uh, she came out and said, uh, something recently that we, we referenced in the, in the column, which was that like, it's kind of disrespectful to all the people that worked really hard for a long time. Um, and I, and I mostly feel this for the actors and actresses, the performers and listen, the writers, the direction that the writers drove the show in the absence of very specific George R. R. Martin waypoints. If you're disappointed in that, that's very fair game, but the performances were stellar. And so like when you're going to call for a remake of the, 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 the season and you're going to be very critical, just keep in mind that a lot of people put their heart into that. And I thought that, that somebody like Sophie Turner has a legitimate gripe when it comes to the actors and actresses, because if there was anything that show was really consistently good at was uh, the portrayal of these characters, whether or not you liked the direction that they were headed uh, at the hands of, of the showrunners yeah. uh, as of late. It's interesting, too, because um, I don't even know if you watch it. I don't think we ever discussed it, but the week before the game of thrones finale hbo had the veep finale and that was universally praised i feel like almost the expectations for the game of thrones finale were too high and they were never going to be able to get met anyway expectations matter they, they yeah, matter absolutely they, they always matter for me in movies like yeah you know when i watch a movie like there's a few movies i i just hate and like i think i don't like them anyways give me a couple i, I wouldn't like give me, them give me a couple. i wouldn't like well Okay, so there's here's a perfect one. I really did not enjoy uh, Three Billboards. Interesting. Um, I couldn't stand it. It reads like a play, and I know it was written by a playwright, but I'm not into like this. Like, it's almost like half of the people in that movie are talking to the the audience member, not to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that's a big pet peeve of mine. Uh, and and there were a lot of it. Just was it was corny to me and. Right. And, you know, when you walk into a movie that everybody's like, this is just, this is a knockout movie, you're always going to be expecting a lot. Right. And I don't think that was one of them. Uh, another one that I didn't like was the the movie um, with the two bank robbers and Jeff Bridges in Texas. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. That that I conveniently forgot the, the name of the yeah, movie. But, I know what you're talking um, about. And pretty much every Jeff Bridges movie I love. I didn't enjoy that movie right. at all. I thought it was like grossly overrated. But these are both movies that I walked into in recent memory, and I had high expectations for it. Did it play a, a role in my disdain for the movies? Probably. Right. But, I, you know. we got to talk football for a minute. Before we get to football, 
quick, uh, very quick. Give me, and I know you don't like doing this. This was like anti Chris Long when we were writing these columns, but I'm going to ask you to do it. Give me like, a, give me a, what grade you would give the, f- not the finale, yeah. the final season, a grade, and then tell me what show you're going to tackle next. Well, so, I mean, when you're grading, you have to, you have to take into account, is it relative or is it not? Like when I get on Rotten Tomatoes and they, they, they grade. Um, I would say, which I, 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 this is I how I would use do it. Rotten to- I would do it this way. Your enjoyment level of season six was a B, Listen, a C, like a C+. A plus. Va- See, here was the problem. You, you grade an episode in a vacuum. Right. And like an episode like episode five is great in a vacuum. I mean, it's wildly entertaining, some really good CGI, great acting. There's some plot holes that you wouldn't know unless you watched the show. Um, and another thing, you know, is these episodes individually are victims of being a part of season eight. Right. And season eight is a victim of being a part of the expectation of being one of the greatest franchises of all time and wrapping it um, without George R. R. Martin's, you know, kind of training wheels. So I would look at it as like, listen, if I'm grading it on a scale of Game of Thrones, it's a C minus. Okay. Um, you know, and that's low because all the other ones are pretty damn good. If I'm grading it on a scale of like other shows, like, listen, there are some episodes I, I used to love the walking dead. Mm-hmm. When that second wave of characters came in, the show just, it was like a nosedive. Right. You're going to tell me that that 49% episode five on rotten tomatoes is worse than a lot of those average Walking right. Dead episodes, like in the twilight of the show. Right, right. And for me, like the twilight started like five seasons in. But yeah. so I, I guess C minus on a scale of Game of Thrones and on a scale of like regular TV, it's a B. Right. Uh, and as far as like the next, <laughs> the next show I tackle, I, I haven't gotten into Mad Men. Oh, it's great. It's great. And they had a good finale. I'll tell you that. No spoilers, but okay. it was a good finale. Mad Men was great. Well, but if you haven't watched Seinfeld, I mean, you got to get on that. I mean, that's ridiculous. I think Seinfeld. Um, I've watched Seinfeld, but I've never right. like religiously watched it. I like to get into Mad Men, as you know, my schedule's kind of cleared up. Yep. Uh, so I look forward to to binging a lot of stuff. But um, you know, I also now that I'm unemployed and I'm sitting at home with two young kids, it's not like I can be like, "Hey, babe, I got to go right. in the other room and watch Mad Men for twelve hours." Right. Well, that's why Seinfeld will be a quicker watch. Uh, so speaking of all that. Uh, was the decision to retire difficult or were you at peace with it for a while? You know, it it was very difficult. It's always been difficult thinking about like, I'm somebody who's always thinking ahead and um, it's hard for me to live in the moment. Uh, My entire career, I've been afraid of the day it would end. And, um, you know, not because I've always like been obsessed with football or my identity as a football player, but like the what's next and, you know, the existential crisis that I see a lot of guys struggle with when they get out. But as my career has gone on and I've gotten involved with more stuff and kind of, you know, also obviously winning helped uh, finally in my career, uh, I I, I became more at peace with my career. And, you know, although I had a ton of individual success in St. Louis on bad teams, I never felt like my career was successful. And it was something I was very insecure about was, you know, for eight years, you know, when I'm having double, you know, a double digit sack season here or there, or, you know, I'm a captain or whatever, all that good shit that you should be excited about. I never felt fulfilled because 
we want winning. And I thought that, uh, I was like, this is, uh, this is going to be uh, my seat. My career is a disappointment. Right. And, you know, and, and, and when I got IR two years in a row, I was like, damn, this is, this sucks. I worked my whole life for this. And I guess you can't feel sorry for yourself. I made a lot of money and, and most people would kill to do this. But for me, this is disappointing. And, you know, to, to the past couple of years, you know, win uh, a couple of Super Bowls and, and, uh, and, and enjoy kind of what it feels like to, to be a part of a buzz in a city. Um, I felt more at peace with the, with the possibility. And in my last two years, I hated, like my last couple of years, I hated a lot about pro football. Um, even though I was winning and on winning teams, I just, I grew tired of certain things Monday through Saturday. And, um, you know, I love Sunday. I always have. I live to play a game. I live to compete and, and bust my ass. And and just those those big plays you have a chance to be a part of, they make your career. And they they really those are memories that will last forever. But uh, you know, as I as I was getting ready to go back to to Philly this year, it became pretty apparent to me that I wasn't going to have an opportunity to make those plays on Sunday. Right. Um, and I'm never somebody who's like, I want to be a pro football player to just put on a uniform and be quote unquote the man. You know, if I'm right, not right. able to to do what I love, it's not worth it to me. Right. It's too much out of your body. It's 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 too much time away from your family. And I'm healthy. I had a good year last year. I always wanted to go out when they weren't when they weren't ushering me out, um, which very few guys get to do that. So I'm blessed, man. I'm I'm excited about the next chapter. Yeah, it, it does I love seem, my life. It does seem like if you're an NFL player, you can't go 99%. It's got to be 100. Now, but the one thing is, now listen, you guys have completely different lifestyles because you have two kids and he's there just, you know, having fun 24-7. But the minute Gronk retired, five minutes later, he was talking about possibly coming back if a team needed him. Is that in your well, head at all or are you, are you 100% done? Here's the thing. I, when I said I'm done, I'm done. And, you know, like I told Philly something happens. Um, that's where I wanted to retire. If some crazy shit happens and they need me, call me. But I don't anticipate it. That's not something I root for. I want to be done. Um, I've given everything I had to the game, to game for 11 years. Um, anybody who played with me, I'll tell you, I work my ass off. I love being a teammate. And, um, I enjoyed the locker room and um, I tried to make younger players better. And, you know, um, listen, I I'm at peace with it. So at the end of the day, there's things I'm excited about. Um, but what played into it in, in a big way for me is like, I could have gotten more jobs. Like I'm not being arrogant or anything. No. I'm just being realistic. Yeah, I, yeah. There were jobs I could have had, but like for me, I like Philly a whole bunch and uh i felt at home there yeah. for the first time in a long time and um you know for me to to have that home when like the place i played for eight years the, the franchise you know got up and left like there's not somewhere i can come back to and watch a game nothing like that we're a part of history in philly forever so right. that we'll always be the first one right no matter how many those guys win um and that's a pretty empowering feeling i didn't want to want to risk leaving to what play another one or two years, break my body more. And, you know, I, I go play in some weird city. I get carted off the third week. You know, my, my leg snaps in half. Oof. Nobody gives a shit. Right. <laughs> At right. least they would cheer for me in Philly. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And I know, I know you can't give a ton of details yet, but 
no one has to worry about missing Chris Long because he's gonna he's gonna become a media mogul with podcasts and videos and everything coming up soon. So uh, keep an eye on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited about that. We got um, I've been working on building this digital media company out, carrying content across a lot of different platforms. You know, um, I'm excited about that. I'm I think football is awesome, but it also kind of crushes your creativity sometimes. It's right. not this, a sport where you can be really creative. I mean, you're creative in your craft, but uh, I love building things and I, I love developing things and I enjoy writing. I can't wait to have my pod. Um, I'm working on a conversational type of studio show um, where I'm going to have guests and whatnot. So, um, and, I, and I look forward to empowering other athletes who, who are not chasing a brand or trying to fit in um, and giving them opportunities to produce things to... Uh, contribute and uh, I'm just psyched about it man I mean it gives me something to wake up to every day and uh, and have something where I feel like I, I have to take ownership over it yeah you know, I could have got a job maybe somewhere but um, I, I wanted to build something yeah I know SI wants to hire you badly but I'm, I'm very happy for you I think that's going to sure. be awesome and uh, you'll be a great pod host so I'm looking forward to that and uh you gotta come on, uh, man. Anytime, anytime, anytime. And I appreciate you coming on my podcast and doing the Thrones. I had a lot of fun. I'll be sad next Monday, but it was a good ride. And, oh, uh, man. You know what? Maybe we can do another show. We can yeah. uh, collaborate on something. <laughs> and the cool thing about it is, like, starting my own company, I don't have to meet any deadlines. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> not that, not that you, I met any deadlines. You were, you were uh, right. With, uh, you were right. It was you should, fine. You should have just made it Tuesday. I should have. I should have. But listen, it worked out. And I appreciate you doing it. And uh, great job. I know the fans loved it. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for coming on. And best of luck post NFL. Thanks a lot, Jimmy. Appreciate right. it, man. Enjoyed it. Take care. Be well. All right. My thanks to Chris Long. You're going to hear a quick word here now from the SI Media Podcast sponsor. And then we'll get to Grant Wall from SI. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferreira, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. All right, joining me now, one of my SI colleagues for a long time. Well, I feel like we're like old school SI people. We count, I think. Uh, SI senior writer, Grant Wall. More than a writer, though. He's all over the place with podcasts and... SITV stuff, and uh, obviously, you got the Women's World Cup coming up. So this is sort of a uh, this is like your time right now to shine. And I know it is. It, yeah. I know you're not a huge soccer guy, so I'm I'm excited to be on your show. <laughs> but I also we have a very big tent in the soccer world, right. and so we're not going to be like those people who like we're fans of a band when they were small and then it got bigger right. and like we don't want you guys like we want you to watch the, the, women's the soccer workout. thing is fascinating in that well i guess it, it well the I, the nhl people are sort of like this too in that they get offended if people don't watch it seems like are you one of those people who get offended if people because no. sometimes people just i mean for I, i'll just speak for myself i don't watch every sport I mean, I watch. I I used to watch so much more sports when I was younger. Right. But then you get older, and real life happens, and you can't watch baseball, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, college football. I mean, there's just so much of it. And then once you, I think, I think there's a few things that have happened. Obviously, the internet and social media has changed the way we consume things. Um, and then you get older, and real life comes in, and you have kids and and family responsibilities. So it's not like a I hate soccer type of thing. It's just like one of those things I don't watch. And, you know, now on the flip side of that, I'll admit it and, you know, I'll watch the WWE, for instance, but I don't get mad if people don't watch the WWE. So I don't get a, I don't understand how hockey people get mad if you don't watch the NHL. Soccer people don't get mad if right. you don't watch soccer. It's, I, I don't care. Yeah, if okay. somebody doesn't want to watch soccer, yeah. that's fine with me. Uh, you know, I, I guess I would also say I'm not like one of those, like, please like my sport type Right, people. right. There's um, a lot of that, I think, in soccer and hockey, it seems like. Yeah. Um, I feel like I enjoy it. Um, there's actually quite a few folks in the U.S. now who who seem to. And there's, like, soccer's become one of the best sports, or U.S. has become one of the best countries in the world to watch soccer in. Right. There's a lot on TV now. It's amazing so, how much is good. on TV. And it's, you know, if I was younger, I probably would be a soccer fan just based on the fact that there are so many games during the day, and I like to place a wager, and it's a good way to like kill time during the day, especially at work. Um, during the like weekday games are like a good, th- you know, people get excited for day baseball, and um, you know when the NFL has those like nine o'clock random something, anything that's like ske- different with the schedule. So like I think I mean soccer's on here in the office. It oh, yeah. seems like every day. I mean, the volume's insane, and that's why the true degenerate gamblers of the world are probably 95% soccer fans, I would think. Right. I didn't even think of getting into this, but I'm glad you brought that up. With the gambling bill getting passed, it's been a year now right. since they passed that. Has that impacted soccer at all, Do you, or do you see it impacting soccer down the road? I know these guys out here, 
uh, Kevin Driscoll, our social media guy, he loves betting the soccer and and Skip, our other social media guy. I don't think they should be doing it based on the results, but <laughs> they love doing it. I, I think it's probably a good thing for for soccer in America, as with other sports too. Mm-hmm. But um, for MLS, here's what's interesting about betting, and, and I don't bet, but like MLS, my sense is at first I'm like I don't know how anyone could win money consistently betting on MLS because it's like weird stuff happens in this league. The worst team in the league, Colorado, just beat the LA Galaxy on the weekend and strange stuff happens. Mm-hmm. But then people who I know are telling me that um, actually the line setters for MLS aren't very good and that you can actually, if you know something about MLS, do That's better than the guy setting right. the lines. That's interesting because I had a friend of mine use that same philosophy um, several years ago in betting the WNBA. Wow. He would actually follow it, and the the people making the lines had no clue what they were doing, and he was right. able to actually clean up um, doing that. So it's interesting. I could see that in the MLS again, not a monster sport in the U.S. where the people following it probably know way more than the lines makers, and then you can – Take and the other thing that's kind of concerned me over the years is because MLS players make so little money in right. some cases right, that right. like they're actually like more of a target maybe for like you know doing shady stuff than, right. <laughs> than other leagues. I'm trying to think though, like, can you fix a soccer game? I, I mean, I guess you can oh, sort yeah. of like let the ball go right past you, and, but like you can't score at will. You'd have to let the other team score, but then the goalie sort of has to be in on it. I, is goalie the right term? Goaltender? They'd goalie, have, yeah, goalie. goalkeeper. They'd, I know there's a goalkeeper, right? They'd have to be sort of in on it, maybe. If you can get the goalkeeper and the referee, <laughs> yeah. you can award a, a, a mysterious penalty in the 89th yeah. minute, yeah. then yeah. Yeah, that would be good. Um, we'll talk more soccer. Obviously, the, like I said, the Women's World Cup is coming up on June 7th. And you, I, I, I'm curious because you do work for Fox, so it's an interesting crossover, your SI slash Fox. But... Uh, you're hosting a new podcast for SI called Throwback, and I guess this is our foray into the vault, which I've always thought was sort of an untapped source for us oh, here yeah. at SI. Um, it's kind of crazy we have all this content, and we should definitely be doing more with it. So why don't you explain, because I know the first one is a soccer one on on the Women's World Cup team, but and you're going to host all of the throwbacks, even the ones that are non-soccer? No. Or, okay. No, so, you, so other SI writers we'll will do. host different seasons. Gotcha. So this first season of throwback is in connection with the Women's World Cup. It's about the first FIFA Women's World Cup, which actually happened way back in 1991. Uh, long story short, a lot of people... Even soccer people seem to think that women's soccer only started in 1999 when the U.S. women won that tournament right. and filled the Rose Bowl. What was the one where Brandy Chastain? Correct. That was that's 99. the one. See? It's interesting, too, in this day and age that that's still the... Oh, yeah. For the non-soccer fan, that's the image that is there, which in today's day and age, if that happened, there'd be like five million think pieces about... <laughs> You know, how women have to get attention in sports and all that stuff. So um, in 91, that was actually the first Women's World Cup. And it had a lot of the same figures that were part of the 99 tournament, like Mia Hamm, Michelle Akers, Brady Chastain, Julie Foudy. But it was on Sports Channel America on tape delay. So nobody watched it. right? And so nobody really even noticed. And so... 
This podcast series goes back and looks at the origin stories of how the U.S. women's national soccer team got started in the mid-80s and how they got to be one of the best teams in the world in a short amount of time. And then also how the Women's World Cup as a tournament got started. Uh, we even got Seth Blatter, who was when, part of that. When was the, the first Women's World Cup tournament? 91 in, that is the first one. in China, which is why it was on uh, tape delay here mm-hmm. and nobody watched it. But yeah. what is interesting to me, one of the things is like women's volleyball and basketball had world championships going starting in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. But soccer is so far behind on like gender stuff that they didn't start until that's 1991. So that's the reason why, because of the gender... It's, yeah, I mean, they just didn't. It's soccer, just yeah. It's I, all men. That literally, like, hmm. FIFA and the National Soccer Association's federations are run by men. Right. And this is not nothing to do with. But currently, now there is a women's soccer league. The and it's just NWSL. NWSL, and their games are on like Lifetime or something like that. Or? They were until uh, they ran into some hard times, which is a state of the the game in, in club women's soccer. So they dissolved that relationship before the start of this current NWSL season, and so there's no national TV partner. So for the, the league is league. going. So the women's soccer league is going on. There's no national. I would assume they're on the internet, probably streaming. Yeah, who right? sports has all okay. of, all their games? Actually. Okay. That's interesting that in this day and age with all these networks and, I mean, NBC Sports, CBS Sports, you would think these these are networks that would um, need content and lie. I mean, there's still nothing in sport. Forget whatever the sport you're talking about. There's still nothing better for a sports network than games, live games. Live rights. I mean, yes, you know, we just had this whole thing with the um, AFL, which was a debacle, but or AAF, um, but the XFL now end up being on Fox and ESPN, which will be a different story then. Um, So it's interesting that 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 league can't get um, on national TV with with so many. And they've got all the top U.S. women's stars on the in the league. it's a big year for them because all of their deals, except Nike just re-upped with them, except for that one, are up at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And so the success that you, the U.S. women's national team has had in getting viewership, which is significant, has not been replicated on the week-to-week league front. Right. And, and that's something they still have to figure out. That's interesting. So back to the throwback, give me... What was the most compelling storyline or thing that happened or the biggest nugget from that 91 team? What what would be the hook to get a listener in? I think part of it is just how little support these U.S. women's players who are legends in their sports, Michelle Akers, Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, Christine Lilly, like they were the best team in the world. They won the 91 Women's World Cup and US soccer paid them nothing. Nothing. They Literally got, zero. They got a per diem of $10 a day. Oh my God, are you serious? And that's it. And so- We get better per diem from SI if we go cover I mean, something. Exactly. And so when the US Women's National Team first started in the 80s, they weren't even given like women's uniforms. They were given hand-me-downs from U.S. soccer's men's boys teams. And now, and this was really just the U.S. though. The other competing teams, the other countries, 
they took care of their players? No. Okay, so it was no one really. In no, the, I mean, no. like this is just, women's soccer has really had to fight in so many different countries mm-hmm. over the years, and in, in so many countries, they're still fighting for any decent treatment from their federations. So, U.S. the U.S. women's team, they would stay in flea bag hotels. They would. Uh, they would see U.S. soccer's boys' youth national teams getting better travel accommodations and treatment wow. than they did. And it was something where eventually, when they started winning World Cups in the mid-'90s, they started fighting and having labor deals and, and back and forth where they got some concessions. But at first, they they made zero money in salary. And so once you were out of college, and some of those players were – there were players that were central figures on the World Cup winning team in 91 who had to retire at the age of 23 just because they couldn't make ends meet. Right. And so they became a coach. But hmm. you should never have to retire yeah. from your sport for those types of reasons. Right. And so U.S. soccer, it took several years before they even started paying anything in the way of uh, bonuses, salary, thing like things like that. So – so the podcast takes you through basically then from start to f- the, the creation of the team, I guess, to the end of the tournament and all these struggles that they that they had to overcome. Um, it's an interesting story for sure. What? So the, you said some players couldn't they couldn't they had to stop playing because they couldn't make ends meet. Did, was that how badly was that affecting the team? I mean, were they losing a lot of players? Were they losing key players? Were they able to patch things together? You know, Title IX did have a really positive impact. Uh, Title IX, 1972 legislation required that universities and colleges, if they provided athletic scholarships for men, had to give an equal amount to women. And that had a huge impact because from the mid-70s on, you had all of these varsity collegiate women's sports teams, including soccer teams, developing. And so there was at least a talent pool. Right. So what's interesting is, is that that's the talent pool that Akers and Mia Hamm and all those folks came out of. Um, But there still wasn't a professional league. There wasn't a way to make it sustainable. And so in the early 90s and mid 90s, players would have to train on their own. You know, they'd have national team camps every once in a while, but they had to stay, you know, world-class fit and in shape and, mm. and all that stuff. And we kind of laugh at that now, but like these were the best players. Like they had to go through this. Like, right. and then 1999 happens, that World Cup, but that didn't just happen overnight. That took years and years and years to even get to that point. Right. The 99 World Cup, when, they, when the US won, um, how much of an impact did that have? Or did it not have as much? I mean, we think of that as an iconic moment. Was there a sustainable effect from that? I, I mean, there was an effect in the sense that, and I, this is one of the first big events I covered for Sports Illustrated. Mm. Um, just th- in those three weeks, it went from a story that we were we were covering, but right. you know, it was like we. Had, I think our preview issue was like a four page story, and they certainly weren't on the cover. Right to when they won, not only being the cover of Sports Illustrated, but the cover of People, the cover of Time, that sort of thing, where this was like the cultural big moment of that summer of 99. They became the Sports People of the Year in Sports Illustrated. Um, Now, 
in terms of like stardom, like Mia Hamm was a full fledged right. superstar after that. They did create a league uh, that uh, started, I think it was a couple years later, 01. And, you know, it had some buzz when it started, yeah. but they also found out that as we talked about earlier here, that a league is a different thing week to week to try to sustain. Right. Right. And they went through a hundred million dollars pretty quickly. And that league folded in 2003. Yeah. Especially back then where, I mean, that that's the surprising thing now is back then it was harder to get on TV and the TV money wasn't what it is now. Now, of course, everything too. I mean, when you talk about 99, yeah, the internet was barely up and running at that point. So it's a whole new, right? you know, the internet coverage now of soccer is, I, I think the internet has helped soccer grow tremendously. I think that's a big, big factor in it. And I think actually American soccer fans are pretty savvy. Um, a lot of people in other parts of the world don't want to acknowledge that. Right. But, um, you know, just the ability to see the best soccer from around the world, it's pretty easy yeah. here now. Um, I'm curious. Let, let's talk about you for a little bit because you, you said you were covering that in 99. What year did you start at Sports Illustrated? 96. Wow. That's yeah. really... I don't think there's too many people with a longer tenure no, than me here. No, I started in 2000. I So you started in... Wow, that's really old school. <laughs> and But you still look like you're like 25. <laughs> that's why it's hard to believe. It's crazy. Thank you. Um and you do a plan. You do a podcast for SI Planet Football. It's a weekly soccer podcast. You do SITV Planet Football. You write. What do you like? To, is writing still what you like to do best? Um, I like to do all of it. Actually, mm -hmm. it's uh, I like the variety. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, writing is something that I never want to totally stop doing. Right. But I certainly do less of it than I used to. Um, so it's about trying to find the right balance, I guess. I did a, a 5,000 word story on uh, Claudio and Danielle Reyna, former U.S. men's and women's national team players uh, not long ago who um, had uh, had four kids. Their oldest son tragically passed away from uh, a brain tumor. Their second oldest son is the top prospect in U.S. men's soccer. Mm. And so there was a real story that they yeah. never talked about. So that's the last major you know, length story that I did and that came out in, in December. And so, you know, what I've been doing since then in 2019 is focusing on this podcast series, which has right. taken a couple of months to do all the interviews and, and, and production. And, um, uh, we have three episodes of our half hour video, uh, documentaries, which we call exploring planet football on SITV, where I'll go for a week and a half to an interesting country soccer wise and get a sense it's half travel show, half soccer show of what, what makes that country different or right. special. Right. So we just came out with, we had Iceland last year. We did Germany just came out last week where we went around and saw young U S men's national team players in Germany. Um, We've got Japan coming out in a couple of weeks and then Argentina a couple of weeks after that. I'm curious because uh, the Planet Football podcast is similar to this SI Media podcast. And it's usually just like weekly. I think you have a guest, you do an yeah. interview. And, and then you went to the Throwback podcast, which was sort of a narrative podcast. And you're doing interviews that are going to be sort of in the can for a while before they're live. And it's a storytelling thing. Um, was it difficult to transition to that? It was 
it was yeah, definitely different. Yeah. Um, it was a very good experience for me to do it just mm. because it's so different than a weekly podcast where generally my approach is let's find someone interesting in the soccer world to interview for 30 minutes and we'll put that out there. Um, and the metabolism is definitely different. Um, but for me, it was a, just a really good experience to see how different it is to go about. We did, you know, more than a dozen interviews, lengthy interviews did for you, this podcast series. Did you book those yourself or did you have help from, there's a production team? On I, I booked those myself. I've covered women's soccer since 96. So it wasn't difficult for you to book those interviews? No, not really. I mean, you still have to do it. Right. Um, no, I'm just, I'm jealous because <laughs> booking a podcast is <laughs> um, hell on earth. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, doing all those interviews then working with a producer to do the scripts for the episodes and the whole process of editing that goes through and yeah. then for me simply getting my voice right in reading doing the voiceovers for a scripted series was a new thing for me for like that type of a podcast you didn't just talk like you're talking now you have a script. I mean, right. and, and, and it may oh, sound so you need like to turn inflections, but you and... also you like if I do a video essay for Fox Sports during the World Cup, mm. they actually want me to read that script for that two or three minute video essay in a different way than I was asked to read the podcast series script. And I get why now. That's interesting. But like when I do a, a I, I get into what my wife calls Fox voice. Well, you I was going to say, I, the worst thing is when you know someone is putting on the, like you hate, like <laughs> I, as a, this is where I come at it as a fan. Like you yeah. hate it. It's like, oh, and they, welcome to the SI Media Party. Like, <laughs> that's the worst. That's the worst. <laughs> so, like it, well, all right. So, that's what good. I had to do, like typically what I'll do for a Fox video essay is I will underline words that I'm supposed to you know, emphasize. Right. And then I was basically told to do the opposite of that for this podcast series where, you know, have it sound natural and and a little bit like you're just talking as we are now, but you're actually reading a script. And that, for me, doing it for the first time was harder than I expected, and I had, right. to, I had to work at it. So when the, when the Women's World Cup begins June 7th, what's your situation at SI and Fo so you're on Fox TV I would assume yeah all the time and you still have to do your SI stuff right you gotta yeah so um is it tough to navigate it's not that hard really um because everyone sort of understands Sports Illustrated's my top priority Fox is my second priority but there's not really conflicts right so physically I'll be on the ground for every U.S. women's game wherever that is in France all right day of and day before and then other than that i'll be in the city where the fox studio is so that's paris for most of it they've got this ridiculously nice studio right in front of the eiffel tower um the last the semis and the final are in lyon so i'll be there instead of paris but that's it's pretty straightforward um this might be putting you on the spot since you work for fox so if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. But I'm just curious. What I, I just thought of it when you were talking about Fox and soccer. Like, what what did you make when they tried the Gus Johnson experiment? What, did that turn you off as a soccer fan? Or no, um, I actually, you know, got to know Gus fairly well. Mm -hmm. um, I and hadn't really known him when I, I covered college basketball through 2009, right. and had and I know Gus did a lot of college basketball, but he and I had never really, you know, connected or had a chance to. But I remember the 2013 Gold Cup. We were in Salt Lake City, 
And Gus was doing the calls for Fox, and I was doing sideline back then, uh, which I don't do anymore. Um, mm. But um, Gus had a feeling that soccer fans, U.S. soccer fans, didn't like him because I guess he had seen stuff online. You know, right, Twitter is right. a thing. He right. read that stuff. And I said to him, I was like, look, every night before a U.S. national team game in the city, the, f- the fans, the American outlaws, have a night before party. And there's a lot of them. They go to a bar. They come in from all over the country. And I said, Gus, go with me to the night before party. And he's like, ah, they, they hate me. And I was like, no, believe me. They will love you. They will you know, want to like give you soccer scarves and shirts and, and like things with the American outlaws on it. And they'll want their pictures with you. And he, he finally reluctantly agreed to go and he was a rock star. He loved it. And I think after that, he felt better about the hardcore U S fans. Right. Um, now he eventually didn't do soccer anymore and decided not to. Um, but I don't know. I, I think I would suggest this. If you can ever get a, a show where you could get Gus Johnson or Dave O'Brien to talk to you about their soccer experiences, because Dave O'Brien, another tremendously accomplished announcer yeah. who did soccer for the 2006 World Cup. Yeah, he got roasted too, I remember. On, I, again, we're judging on Twitter, which is always one of those right. things, but I do remember that, seeing that. I just think that would be a fast. It'd be fascinating to get both of them in the same place yeah. talking about their experiences because I think they're so used to to you know being deservedly treated with so much respect by fans in other sports that I think it threw them a little bit that soccer people were a tough crowd. Yeah, and I always thought I, I guess I'm a little biased here because I do love Gus, um, and I had him on the podcast la- during the last college football season. I don't even think I got into the soccer stuff with him because I feel like. Um, I I don't want to say he was set up to fail because that's that's strong, but he had never done soccer before. Fox gets the rights, so of course you know it. It was I think Fox is the one who sort of should take the blame more than Gus for that because I get it. They get soccer. They want to make a big deal, and and they're using this iconic voice and announcer, but he's never called the sport before, and. You know, it's just not easy to do it that way. Um, so, and then obviously there was the backlash against Gus. You know, he, I guess the soccer fan felt he just wasn't the right fit for it. But if he's not the right fit for it, I mean, that's more on Fox than Gus. I mean, what's Gus supposed to do? He's, he can't, you know, he's been calling games a certain way for all these years. And um, and I also think, too, there was a lot of, I just, I know people love the ESPN announcers and then, they lost it to Fox, and of course, you always want what you can't have. So they missed that. Uh, Ian Dark, I guess, is the guy who um, all the fans want. Oh, no, um, who's like the huge play-by-play guy for you? Is it Ian Dark? Well, Ian still does ESPN games for the national team. Um, they brought John Champion in uh, this year, who's very good. Um, you know, it's interesting that people. I understand why they would focus on projects that maybe didn't go as well or experiments like us in the end but like like mike tarico for example i thought now granted hosting a studio is not the same as broadcasting a 90 minute game play by play but no tarico did a pretty great job um so it's tough though i mean like i would also say like if you look at fox right now john strong is a guy who is 
you know, someone who's organic American, grew up with a sport in Portland, Oregon, one of the great soccer cities in America, and is, in my opinion, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So, well, that's the why culture I, produces those things. Yeah, now. I, I, that's why I say the blame for the Gus soccer thing really goes on Fox because then they quickly made the change after that. You know, when they realized the fans weren't warming up to Gus calling soccer, and then they brought in new people and. Like you said, obviously now they have a strong crew, and seems like most people are happy with that who who watch the World Cup. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, it's uh, one thing I learned doing men's World Cup last year uh, with Fox and, and women's World Cup in 2015 is it's just such a giant event. Yeah, and so everything required to make it work well. It's it's like I could be a total. You know, if I'm with Sports Illustrated, I can be a lone wolf at one of these events and I, I don't need help. Right, right. You know, it, right. like, whereas it's like, mm-hmm. you know, being like on a, you know, like an aircraft carrier when you're with a TV group. Yeah. Um, before we wrap it up, I'm just curious. So get, what, the U.S. women's team in this World Cup, are they favorites? Are they likely to win? What's... Yeah, the U.S. is favorites. Yeah. Uh, defending champion. They've won three World Cups more than any other country. However... Um, they went out in the quarterfinals of the Olympics in 2016, and I would say there's more teams now, maybe a half dozen, that could actually win this Women's World Cup, and I, I think there's more than ever before that can win it. So if the U.S. didn't win, is it a shock or would it be a minor surprise? Like, will, will people, will the soccer fans here just be apoplectic if they don't win, or it, would it not be that shocking if they I don't mean, win? The U.S. has been the gold standard for so long that just simply not winning, even if they lost in the final, right. would be viewed as this is a giant failure. Okay. All right. So that's They're the Brazil yeah. of, of women's soccer. All right. All right. See, I like when that. I, see, I then I'll root for the U.S. to lose, and I'll I, I want I'll watch it. I want to. I want to. I want the anarchy of everyone getting all pissed off. That's, when I don't watch a sport, that's what I root for. All right, I think I made it through pretty well with a soccer interview so far. This is your first and, one. Uh, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, I, I was thinking about when I was a when I was a little little kid though. I used to. I remember watching the Cosmos, yeah. Giorgio Canalia, sure, and the. What was was the indoor league also called the MLS back then? The MISL, and you probably watched Shep Messing the goalie, Shep the Messing, Arrows, New York Arrows. That was my team. Steve Jungle, the yeah. Lord of All Indoors. Yes. yes, that I remember watching all that and being into all that. That's cool. But I was also like, into, you're in. I also watched hockey when I was a kid, and I probably haven't watched that since the Rangers won the cup in '94. So. <laughs> you know, there's only so much time in the day. Um, but you should definitely, I mean, I think whether you're a soccer fan or not, I mean, the story of the 91 World Cup team that's detailed on the throwback podcast, um, there's been two episodes, episode three comes out this Thursday and there's five total. So you get the whole story in five episodes. I didn't know any of what you explained to me today about the money and just, you know, having to just work out on their own. It sounds, it sounds crazy to me. So it's, it's it, wild. whether you're a soccer fan or not, there's obviously a very, very compelling story there. So. I hope so. We've certainly put it together with the hope that you don't need to be some sort of soccer person to, yeah. to get something out of it. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Enjoy Thank France. Thank and, you. Uh, glad we got to do this. Appreciate and, it. And uh, that's Grant Walk. Check it out. Uh, check him out on SI.com. Planet Football Podcast, Throwback Podcast. Exploring Planet Football video, and then, of course, 
Fox. I'll plug Fox even though they fired me a couple of years ago. That's okay. All right. Thanks, Grant. All right. That wraps up this edition of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. My thanks to Chris Long and Grant Wall. Appreciate them coming on. And um, make sure you subscribe. Check out the archives. Recent interviews in there. Last week we had Chad Finn and Brian Curtis on the podcast. Ian Rappaport, NFL Network Insider, a couple of weeks ago. Mike Breen, who's about to call the NBA Finals. You can hear from him three weeks ago. And uh, Jim Nance recently as well. So dip into the archives, subscribe, rate, review. It all helps, and I appreciate it. And we'll see you next week on the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.